Good morning, Harvest. Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, which is actually kind of cool because our kids' ministry is doing Ephesians right now as as Harvest Kids. So if you're tracking with the, the curriculum we're sending out to you, your kids will be in Ephesians as well. So I love that. Get your Bibles. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 11 to 23 this morning. You know, as you're turning there, like most older guys, I, I, I kind of struggle with this idea of me growing old, and, and I, I still think of myself as young, and, and it seems like just yesterday I was 20 years old, and so I live like I'm still in my 20s until, until there are those moments when my body reminds me that I'm actually pushing 50. And there was, one of these just happened to me. I was driving in my car a couple years ago with, with, my, with my family, and, and I'm asking my daughters, hey, can you see that sign up there? Like, yeah, Dad, we can see the sign. It says this. Oh, okay. Can you see that bigger sign? Yeah, we can see that too. And I realized, man, I, I can't see the same things my kids are seeing. So I go to the optometrist. I'm like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think I may need glasses. They, they test me out. A couple weeks later, the glasses come. I put them on, and it was awesome. I mean, I, I could see everything clearly. I, I would look up and, and street signs are clear. I, I, I could actually, when I'm walking through a grocery store, I could see somebody from afar off and know who they were before they got to me. In fact, I would say this. If, if you see me in Walmart and I don't have my glasses on, I, I'm not being rude to you. I actually just can't see you. But, but it, was, it was awesome to be able to see again. And it was amazing to see things clearly. And, and here in, in Ephesians The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus and he's laying out this prayer for them and he's praying for them to have this, to have clear vision, to have clear spiritual sight. And and in times of uncertainty, I mean, think about where we are right now, right? You're watching this in your living room. We're in this whole isolation period of this coronavirus and there's uncertainty in our world. And one of the first things we lose in times of uncertainty is the ability to see clearly. And so Paul is praying and and look at at verse 15 of chapter one. Here's his prayer. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Here he's praying and he's he's praying for this wisdom and this revelation that their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, would be open, that they could see clearly. And he's, he's praying for God to do a work in the church there, praying for us in the same way. This prayer is for us to do a work that only God can do. So, so we're, we're going to be tracking over the next few weeks talking about where we can have a certain hope in uncertain times. But listen, listen, you're not going to hear sermons of, hey, here are five ways for you to have hope. Here are, here are six ways to see more clearly. Paul's calling out for something that only God can do, something that only God can give, and that's spiritual sight. To have the eyes of our hearts see clearly. What he's asking is for God, God, God to bring a clarity to our sight. What's he want us to see clearly? Look at verse 18. Here's what he wants us to see. To see what? The hope to which he has called you. 
I mean, Paul knows something that, that I think we all know very well. It is hard for us, nearly impossible for us to live our lives without hope. Think about the days we have right now, what we're experiencing in our communities right now as we watch the news, as we see what's going on all around us, as, as you go to work and you, and you see the uncertainty in the people you're working with. I mean, there's a deep need for hope. When life is going good, we forget about our need for hope. But when things are tough, I mean, we see our desperate need for hope. And we see how hope is this fuel that, that lets us to con- continue to live our lives with joy and with peace and with passion and with purpose. As we look at what hope looks like over the next few weeks, a a biblical view of hope, what is Christian hope? We're going to see the the dynamic of change it brings into our lives as Christians when we have a true hope. And that's Paul's prayer for these early Christians. His his greatest prayer is that they would have hope, a, a kind of hope that only the Spirit of God can bring. Only the Spirit of God can implant in your heart and in your mind a hope that would transform you. And and here's a a truth about life. The, The way you live now, listen, your behavior, your thought life in the here and now is determined mostly by what you believe your ultimate future to be. Let me say that again because this is where hope comes in. The way you live now, your thoughts and your behavior is largely, mostly determined about what you believe your future hope to be. Your hope determines how you live now. Now, now when I say hope, I, I want to make sure we have a biblical definition of what hope is. Our, our English word for hope is so weak. It's, it's, this, it, it's this idea of, man, I, I hope something happens. There's an uncertainty to our English word hope. I mean, if, if someone tells you something amazing, you would use the word hope. And you're like, man, I don't know if that's true, but man, I sure hope it's true. Well, the biblical word for hope is so different than that. The the Greek word for hope has a a deep strength to it. It's a confidence of something you know is true. That's a a life-defining certainty. It's something that hasn't happened yet, but you know for a certainty that that's going to happen. That's hope. That's biblical hope. Now, I look at it this way. When I was a kid, I used to love watching old westerns. And, and there's always the scene in most of the old westerns where, where the heroes are being beaten. The, the, the bandits are fighting against, the, the, the bad guys are fighting against. They're winning the battle. The heroes are, are losing the battle. There's hope is being lost. They're, they're losing strength. They're down on ammo. And then all of a sudden, off in the distance, you hear that familiar bugle sound that the Calvary's coming. And it's, it's a long way off, but, but, but you know from that sound that a whole army of soldiers on horses is coming to your defense. And so what happens, you, you know, as, as the hero in the story, you know your victory is now guaranteed. And it, it lifts their hearts, and, and those, those heroes who are losing the battle, they start to be strengthened in the fight. They start to fight with a renewed strength. And, and listen, the cavalry hasn't even arrived yet. It's not there. They're still in the same situation they were before they heard the bugle sound. But it's that hope of the arrival. It's that certain hope. The certain hope of victory changes their hearts, gives them the strength and the power to keep fighting. And because of a certain hope, you can be stronger, you can be braver. Why? Because that future hope changes your present reality. 
Now, I say it changes your reality. I mean, what's different in the, the lives of those heroes who are losing the battle in the old Western? Nothing changes because of the sound of the bugle. They're still in the same suffering. They're still in the same difficulty. But here's what changes. Because of their certain hope, they have joy and peace and strength. It's, it's not the circumstances that actually make you feel the way you feel in life that, that affect the way you live. It's this, your believed in future completely determines how you make sense of, how you respond to the circumstances now. Let me say that again. Your believed in future completely determines how you make sense of, how you respond to the circumstances you're living now. So when the, when the circumstances of, of this season that we're in right now, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not just talking about how your schedule has been disrupted because, I man, it is hard with the schedules we're in right now. I mean, even right now, as you're listening to the sermon, sitting on your couch, my guess is for many of you who have little kids, there's a toddler right now who's destroying something in another room or punching you in the side of the head while you're trying to listen to a sermon. Listen, I get it's hard. The circumstances are hard. But that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's not even the, the isolation or the loneliness. And I get for, for many that's, that's so hard. But here's what really can remove our hope, who can, can weaken our strength. It's the uncertainty. I mean, how long is this going to last? How are we going to make it financially? Will our kids be able to finish schooling right? Will someone I love or know or myself, will we get sick? How is my family going to stand up under this new strain? Are we going to make it relationally? And it's in this uncertainty, when, when that crisis hits and, and our, our hope that's misplaced, our hope in things that this crisis now removes from us, it exposes our soul's foundation. And when our, when our soul's foundation is removed, what happens is we're, we're hit with fear and anxiousness. But listen, Scripture says there's a whole other way to live because there is a true hope. There, there is a future for those of you who are Christ followers, who have placed your hope in Him, in the gospel that says that you were lost and sinful and broken, but in Christ you've been made new. There's a hope you have. And over the next few weeks, I want us to unpack what does this hope of Scripture look like? For this morning, here's our first point for this morning. If you look at verse 17, it says this. Here, here's the, the first certain hope we have. Verse 17 says this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of Him. Here's our first hope. Our first hope is this. I can know God. I can know God. Listen, the, the deepest need of every human being is to know God. And, and not just to know about Him, but to truly know Him as, as your personal creator, your redeemer, your savior, your judge, your friend. I mean, do you know God? Like, do you really know Him? There are two Greek words that Paul could have chosen here, two words in the Greek for knowledge. The, the, the first word is to know about facts. A fact would be like, I know about the, the population of the communities where we have our church locations planted in Muskoka and Perry Sound. I know the population. Here's a fact. I know that only one in 100 people can lick their own elbow. I'll give you a minute to try it. Okay. Email, 
text, let me know if you could do it. We'll see if the odds are right. One in a hundred, they say, can lick their own elbow, all right? That's one kind of knowledge. Okay, stop licking your elbows. That's one kind of knowledge. That The word Paul chose here is another Greek word. It's, it's a word of knowledge, of knowing something in a deep and personal way. It's an experiential knowledge. Listen, I know fact-wise, I know that the ingredients of those little peanut butter squares with the, the colored marshmallows in them, I know the ingredients are, are peanut butter and, 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 and sugar and, and some sort of nectar made by baby angels. Like I know the, the ingredients in those, but listen, there's a different kind of knowing when you pop one of those in your mouth. That's the kind of knowledge Paul's talking about here. That's the knowledge he's saying. He says that, that, that you would know. You, you can know the facts about childbirth, but when you hold your baby that's born in your arms for the first time, you know it. That's the kind of knowledge Paul's talking about here. There's something that happens when, when, when you pray for your heart to see and to know Jesus. And, and where God takes the doctrines of the gospel the factual knowledge you might have about grace and it, and it blows up in your life and becomes real for you. There's, there's a reality of joy and peace that explodes in your life and Jesus becomes real and personal. And knowing him changes you, even in the midst of your circumstances. So again, let me ask this, do, do you know Jesus? Are you growing in your knowledge of him, to know him personally, digging deeper into his word, lingering in prayer? Because for Paul, it wasn't a one and done thing. What's he say here? He says in scriptures, he says in Ephesians, I continue to, I steadfastly, I, I, I don't cease praying for you. I'm not gonna stop doing this. So let me encourage you, pray for this. God, open my eyes that I could know you. Pray about this alone in, in, in secret as you just, you and God, just going to him about this. Pray as families, like, like make this part of your prayer life as a family, as friends, as small groups, as a church. This would be our prayer too. God, we want to know you. Give us eyes. If you're feeling like your heart has grown cold or you, or you feel lost, listen, this is a prayer that God loves to answer. God, I want to know you. God, would you show yourself to me? God, would you make yourself known to me? I want to know you and see you more. Verse 17 says that it's going to be this work of God in our heart, the work of the Spirit of God for what? For wisdom and revelation, it says. That, that when you read the Bible, and, and that's revelation, that's God's revelation, that's God's wisdom. When you, you read God's word, when, when a, a Bible-saturated sermon is being preached to you, you're praying, God, I'm hearing and, and seeing that, that wisdom and revelation of you, but, but the, what you're praying for, God, God, I really want to see it. Not just understand it, but God, let it have an effect on me. God, let it move me. Let it change me. God, I want to be, I want to be, have, have more hunger for you. I want my heart to be moved with joy as I hear your word. I want my heart to be moved in conviction as I read your word. The first step, if you don't have this right now, the first step is to pray, to seek God for this. Where you would say, Father, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Don't, God, I can't leave this up to myself because in myself I can't do this because I'm so bent towards sin. I'm so unspiritual. I'm so broken. 
That you would pray, God, would you wake me up to see who you are, to know you, to know the beauty of the gospel. Pray for that. Be constant in that prayer. I'm telling you, God will show you more than you ever dreamed he would show you. With that kind of prayer in mind, look at what knowing God actually means. As you're praying for this, look at verse 11. Here's, here's what knowing God is about. <clears throat> verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. So Paul here saying, we as Jews, we heard this first, but now everybody's hearing this. Everyone. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I mean, do you see the hope there? The hope of knowing God, the hope of being known by God. I mean, what was just read to us here, I mean, you are chosen by God. I gotta tell you, I love the doctrine of election. That There is such deep hope in that, that God would choose me. Because I know in and of myself, I am not choosing God. Uh, I am too weak. I am too feeble. I am too broken in my sin. If it was up to me, I would not choose God. But amazing that in my brokenness and in my sin, that God would reach down and say, yes, I, I want to adopt you as my son. <laughs> wow. And, and then as his chosen child. So if, if you're someone, you've placed your hope in Christ alone. You've heard the word of truth. You've heard the gospel. The gospel that says you're more sinful than you would ever admit to anybody. But that you're more loved in Christ than you could ever dream. The gospel that says you are sinful and separated from God. But God being rich in mercy gave us his son. That Christ died for you while you were a sinner to set you free. Rose again to conquer sin and death. When you've heard that, believed that, placed your life on that truth, it says here, you now have an inheritance. You have an inheritance of eternal life with God. I mean, that, that's a hope that lasts. In verse 13, what's it say about this inheritance? This is not an inheritance that any coronavirus crisis could take away. It's not an inheritance that a, a bank account could drop. You go, I've just lost my inheritance. No, no. It says here that this inheritance is sealed and guaranteed. That this hope of my inheritance is not in me. Again, uh, I run, I doubt, I'm weak, I'm fickle, I'm fragile. If this inheritance was about me, I would lose it for sure. The inheritance we have is not secured because I have today more faith than I've ever had to hold on to Jesus, more faith than I had yesterday. No, no, no. The inheritance is sure because Jesus is the one holding on. His spirit is the down payment on the inheritance. He's the seal. He's the guarantee. Listen, knowing you have millions in a bank account will change the way you live your life. Knowing that you have an eternally secure hope forever radically changes the way you live. I would say this, don't waste this coronavirus season. Don't waste it. Don't, don't, don't waste what God's given you even in this, the opportunity he's given us as the church. I mean, to, to know him more deeply in this crisis. 
Because we have this future hope to live with this hope in a way that would serve your neighbor. This, this hope that, that, that you can live out that when people look in on your life, when you, if you're still working, you're going to the workplace and people around you have all this uncertainty and fear and they look at you and you're filled with hope and joy and peace and, and, and what you post online uh, on Facebook or Instagram and you're posting stuff that's about hope and people will come to you and go, man, how do you have joy and peace? Aren't you scared of what's coming? And you can say, yeah, I'm scared. But I have hope. I know the one who has my life in his hands. I know the one who, verse 11 says it, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That you'd be able to say to people who are looking in on your life, man, my future is secure. A virus can't take this away. Losing finances can't take this away. You can have this same kind of hope. You, you can tell those asking, what do you have? You go, man, you can have the same hope. So let's not waste, let's not waste, listen, don't waste this season by just binge watching Netflix. Spend the extra time God's given you right now in this time of being isolated as families. Spend it as a time growing as a family, growing in hope. Spend time on your own seeking the Spirit of God to, to open your spiritual eyes to know Him more in this season. Spend time, listen, spend time reaching out to care for people. To, to maybe in this season you give more and serve more than you ever have in your life before. Because you know that in the midst of this crisis, you have a hope. And that hope completely changes everything. Here, here's the second hope we have. We, we have a hope that we can know God. Here's the second one. I can know that God sees me. I know how he sees me in Christ. You can know that. You can know as God looks at you in Christ, you can know what he sees when he sees you. Because look at what, what the prayer says. Look at verse 18 again. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He says, I want you to know about the richness of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, 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 we can read that, and the first thing we can do is we can put these spiritual overtones in what we just read. We say, okay, it says the saints. So that, that must mean super spiritual people. Yeah, it sounds very spiritual. How, how does that actually change my life right now? The riches of glorious inheritance in the saints. Let, let's bring it right into our living room this morning. When Paul talks about saints, he's talking about Christ followers. He's talking about those who know God, those who are known by God. The, the word saint just means separated ones, set apart ones. That's who you are in Christ. So saints isn't about these perfect people that are, that are always knocking out of the park and, and they're the, the, the super spiritual ones in the church. No, no, it's those who are humble and contrite and resting in the gospel. It's not a promise here that it's just for a certain elite group of people. When, when the scripture talks about saints, listen, it's talking about you, if you know Christ. And so what's promised then for you as a saint, as those in Christ? Paul says there's this, this inheritance, and, and now we can, we can get the wording mixed up here and think, oh, he's talking about our inheritance again. He mentioned it earlier on in verse 11. Now he's doing it again here, talking about the inheritance we get in Christ. But listen, read it again. Whose inheritance is he talking about? It says the riches of his, God's, God's glorious inheritance. 
This is something that, that God says, this is what I have of great worth to me. It sounds unbelievable that, that the God of the universe would have an inheritance, right? The, the one who owns everything has an inheritance. I mean, I mean, what could God have that he would say here is his glorious, like this is most valuable to me. I mean, the, the, the one who owns the earth and the stars and the galaxies, something that he would say, hey, even more than all of that, I have something more glorious, Something that stands out as an inheritance above all of that. I mean, it's incredible. What, what, what could that be? What well, says here? It's you. It, it's the saints. It's, it's Christ followers. Paul's saying, he's saying this, listen, I'm praying that you would be floored, that you would be in awe, that you would be astonished, filled with wonder, smitten by what? By how valuable you are to God. That when God sees you, God feels rich. Like, like somebody with a huge inheritance might feel. I mean, this is so big for us as, as we seek to grab a hold of a hope that, that this world can't touch. Imagine, if you will, imagine the creator of the universe and he sees you right now, sitting where you are. He sees you as an inheritance. And as much, imagine as much as you can't wait to be in, in the presence of Christ, that when we get to see him face to face and how amazing that's going to be. I mean, that's an incredible hope that, that we will one day see him face to face, but now, now ask the Spirit of God to plant this deep in your heart and soul, that when you see Jesus, you're going to see in him, in his face, a joy and a delight in his eyes because he sees you that he sees you as his, as his inheritance being fulfilled. Listen, this love that Christ has for you, when that knowledge is, is deeply written on your heart, it brings a certain hope. In fact, everything else that you can hope for in the world pales in comparison to this reality. And, and this reality of how God sees you in Christ, it's not some far off, well, when I get to heaven, I'll get to experience that. Paul's praying that that, that future reality of what that looks like when you get to see that face to face, that, that that would invade into your day today, that it would connect with you today. that this future hope would invade how you view your circumstances now. That it would change how you view criticism. It would change how you see shame. It, it could change how you view trials. That this hope would, would change how you respond to uncertainty. My prayer for you is that you would know the privilege, the, the calling that you have to be known and loved by God. I mean, that, that Jesus would give up all the glories of heaven. Why? Because he knew that, that when he would come to, to live with us, to die on the cross in our place, taking our sin and shame and rebellion on himself, that he gave up his heavenly inheritance. Why? To gain a greater inheritance a glorious inheritance to gain you as a Christ follower. I mean, listen, to create the world costs God nothing. But to save you costs God everything. 
mean, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, flip over there, it's just on the other side of the page, Ephesians chapter 3, look at verses 18 and 20. Here's what Paul says about this love that God has for us. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is Paul. He was the smartest Pharisee of his day. I mean, this guy knew God's word front to back. He knew so much. And for Paul to stop in the middle of writing a letter to go, hey guys, I don't have the knowledge for this. I can't even put words to this. He's praying that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I mean, think about that. Too much for words beyond knowledge. He says, I can't even begin to describe the love that God has for us. And I pray right along with Paul that that you, that I, that we would know this and not not just mentally get the doctrine of God's grace and mercy and love. Like, I don't mean just, just figure that out. I mean that the eyes of our hearts would know this amazing truth. Because of all the spiritual problems that, that can come from a lack of sight. They come because we don't have our heart and our mind set on the hope we have in the love that God has for us. I'm telling you, almost all of our spiritual problems come from this lack of sight. What you know here in your head, what you understand here has to come alive here, has to be known here. And, and, and it's here that that hope can pierce our hearts when we start to look at, at what Christ went through to gain us as an inheritance. I mean, what got Christ through the suffering? He wasn't excused from suffering. He had to go through suffering. What was his living hope that got him through suffering? That, that he was pierced for us. He was crushed. He was forsaken. He was whipped. He was nailed. He was betrayed. What got him through that? I mean, he must have had a living hope that got him through that. What was his living hope? Well, first we know, we know that he entrusted his whole self to God the Father, to his care. He had a hope in in God's care. But Hebrews chapter 12 says this, says that the hope that Christ had that, that allowed him to endure it, it was the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? What was that joy that was set out here that he knew, I have to walk through the shame for that joy. I have to walk through the suffering for that joy. That joy, listen, that joy was you. Isaiah 53 says the same thing. It says that that Christ lost everything, but he thought it was worth it. Why? Because of the results. The results are a redeemed people. And one preacher said it this way. He says, to the degree that you realize you were Christ's living hope, to that degree, he'll become your living hope. When you, when you understand that, when you get a grasp of how God sees you in Christ, it grows him as your living hope. Again, pray this prayer, pray this prayer. Spend, spend time in these verses, verses 11 to 13, all, all the way to verse 23. Just be reading them and praying through them this week. I'm telling you, this is my greatest prayer for myself that I would know this. This is my greatest prayer for my family that we would know this love of God. My greatest prayer for us as a church and for our community that that, that people would know this love of God. Here's the last hope we have. And this one, it's so tangible. Like you can grab a hold of this one. All right, here's our third hope. It's this, that I can know the power of God at work in me that I can know the power of God at work in me. 
verse 19, he says this. He's praying for our hearts to be enlightened, that we would know, that we would know this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might. What kind of power? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I mean, there's a hope you can grab a hold of, that, that there's a power at work in you, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. I mean, it's a power greater than creation. I mean, that God breathed the universe into existence. He's saying, no, there's a greater power than that, a, a greater power. What's this power? This is a power to redeem, to restore, a power to take what's dead and bring it to life. Now, there there are two parts to this hope, this hope of this power of God at work in us. One's a future hope and one's a hope for us right now. And here's the future part of this hope. When we talk about the hope of this power of the resurrection, it's recognizing there's a literal resurrection for you. That it's not some, some Eastern religious mystic idea where, where oh, all the material world's an illusion and, and you get to be released from this illusion of the physical. No, no, no. No, there's a literal resurrection. It's, it's not this Western religious goofy idea of, oh, one day we'll all be floating in heaven as these spiritual bodies. No, no. Scripture never says that. Scripture says that our future hope is not us going to heaven. It's heaven coming down to us. At the end of the book of Revelation, we see how heaven comes down to renew and to restore this world. This future hope changes the way we suffer. We're going to jump more into how do we have hope in the midst of suffering as we go through this series, but, but our hope is not some future cosmic back rub we get in heaven that's going to make us feel better about what we had to go through here on earth. No, our hope is this. Listen, the suffering is undone. There's a resurrection even to the suffering. We can walk through suffering knowing this suffering is going to be redeemed. It's going to be restored. It's going to be resurrected. That that I can go through this suffering and knowing that in this suffering, my joy is being made more complete. That's the hope we have. Even the worst suffering you experience in this world will not just be consoled in heaven. It will be transformed. Now, here's the second implication of this, this hope, though, of the power of Christ at work in you. It changes you right now. There's a now to this. That we know that, that this world is not all there is, and, and, and your weakness and your feebleness and your, your small faith is not all that you have. We can be used by God to show the greatness of the joy and hope of heaven. We can can display even now the justice of God. We can live out today the love and the mercy of God in our neighborhood, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting. Again, I will say this again. Let's not waste the opportunity that God has given us in this crisis to live out this hope, to step out in a power that we don't have in and of ourselves. And as Christians, we have a hope. We have a hope that Isaiah 40 would say this, that one day every valley will be exalted, every hill and mountain will be made low, the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Listen, that's our hope, that God's justice is coming that his glory is being revealed. And so listen, as Christ followers right now, we live out that hope. 
I mean, you think about the early Christians. They, they had the power to change a whole culture under a brutal Roman empire. How do they have this power? What did they do? Why? 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 Why did they take care of the poor and the sick when everybody else said we're not doing it? How did they live through the plagues where they cared for those who were dying, knowing that their own lives were being risked? Their hope shaped them. It shaped them so they could sacrifice their hope, the power of Christ at work in them, the hope of a future resurrection said, we don't care if we die. You can't touch my hope. You can't touch my eternity. I mean, why is it when they were persecuted, they didn't pick up the sword, they didn't get sucked into the cycle of vengeance and retaliation because they had a hope that, God, you're the God of justice. You're the God of judgment. You're gonna make everything right. So we're gonna live out that justice and that peace now. To the point you connect to the hope of the power of Christ in you, you'll have that same greatness. It's resurrection power. Here, here's what I love about that. It's God taking nobodies like us. It's God taking sinful, broken, shame-filled, rebellious people and God saying, I'm making you new. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is that same power at work in you that can bring life and healing back to the mess you may have made of your life. He can bring restoring power to the mess you may have made of your family. He can give you the power to step into the mess of our community and say, I'm going to step in and see Jesus at work. Paul prays that we would see this power in the midst of the uncertainty we even have today. God's saying, listen, I'm at work in this. Verse 11 says, I'm at work in every situation to accomplish my purposes in you and through you. Can we see it? You know, one of my favorite Old Testament stories is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's where Elisha, he's surrounded by, by these horses and chariots that the king of Syria has sent because the king of Syria hates Elisha, wants to take him out. And so, so he's, he's there. Elisha's with his servant. They look and, and then this valley is filled with these horses and chariots ready to take them out, to kill them. And, and the, the servant, he looks and sees all of this army before him. And he's like, we're done for, Elisha. That's it. There's no hope for us. And Elisha prayed a prayer. Elisha prayed a prayer. He said this, God, open his eyes. I love it. It's it's the same prayer that Paul's praying here in Ephesians. Open the eyes of our hearts. And, And God answers Elisha's prayer. The servant's eyes of his heart are open and he sees, yeah, there's this, this army in the valley, but surrounding that valley all around the mountain, it's filled with the Lord's army of horses and chariots of fire. Now, what was Elisha's prayer? Elisha's prayer was not send help. The the help was already there. The power was already there. His prayer was open his eyes so he can see it. We don't often need the help. We need the eyes to see that the power of God, even in the hardest days, is yours in Christ. Even when, when you're facing a battle that you don't think you can, you can handle, it, to know that the power of Christ is yours. Not always, listen, to remove the pain, but to redeem it, to work it out for our good, for His glory. So that Paul can say in Romans 8 that in all these things we are more than conquerors, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything 
present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor viruses, nor anything else in all creation, listen, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is an absolute certainty and trust and hope. So let me close with this as we wrap this up. Let me me give you a bit of a picture of, of, of what this hope looks like, how Paul would describe it. Picture your life as this, this bag here. This is, you, this is you, empty. You're just this, this bag with nothing, nothing but sin and shame and brokenness. But, but then there comes a point in your life where you humble yourself and receive. God draws your heart to him. You receive the hope of the gospel. And, and Scripture says that, that Christ is now in you. So here's your life now. You, you're not just a, this empty bag. Now you have Christ in you. Here's the, here's the great thing, that, that, that Christ is in you. He's not leaving you. Ephesians 1 here says you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's guaranteed that he's in you. You're sealed. Your redemption is sure. That, that when you have Christ in you, he, he's not falling out of you. He's, he's not leaving you in this time. He's, he's not going to step out at any point in all of eternity. Christ is in you. But that's not it. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 6 says this. And, and he says, and we were raised up with him and, seed, and God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, that's pretty amazing. So, so not only is, is Christ in us, but, but Christ in us, we are also in Christ. And it's getting a little more secure. We're in Christ. That's not it. I mean, Scripture talks a lot about this, that they were crucified in Christ, that, that, that we are now living in Christ. It's no longer myself, but it's now me in Christ. I mean, that is a secure picture. But, but flip over a couple pages. Go to Colossians. It's the book right after Ephesians. Go to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Sorry, it's two, two books over. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Look what it says here. Verse 3 says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Okay, you're in Christ, it says, in God. Your life is hidden in Christ, in God. Okay, this is getting even better. So now, now, I, Christ is in me, I'm in Christ, and Christ is in God. That's the security we live with right now. I mean, think about that. Think about that whatever comes to, to come after you. That who you are right now, Christ in you, you in Christ, Christ in God. What this means is that if, if Satan wants to get after you, he has to go through God. He has to go through Christ. Yeah, not a great plan. He's tried that before to go through Christ at the cross, right? That did not go so great for him. And even when he gets to you, if he could even get through God and through Christ, which he can't, and when he gets to you, you have Christ in you. I love that the security, the hope we have. Look again at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at the last few verses there, verse 20. It says we, he, we, that, that God has seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, for above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the power you have in you and through you and over you. 
So you can step out and and live a life on mission because you know that even in suffering, you have a hope that cannot be taken away. You have a God who who controls and is, is covering you and caring for you. There's nothing that can happen to you in this world that can take away that hope. That picture for all of eternity. Christ in you, you in Christ, Christ in God. This is good news. It's the Christian life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's transforming you so that, so that you can live out this life of, of righteousness and holiness in his redemption, in his power, in his righteousness, in his holiness. And he secured you in himself and there's nothing in this world that can touch you apart from going through the entire trinity to get to you. And now he sent you out as the church to live out this hope in our world, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me end with these two questions. And, and right below the screen, if you're on your computer right now, there's a, there's a link you can click on where you can download these questions. There's going to be more in it that, that you can download and read through these. But here are the two questions I want to leave you with as we close. First question is this. Is Christ in you? I'm not asking if you've been baptized, if, if you've joined a church at some time. I'm not asking if you, you follow all these religious things. I'm asking, is Christ in you? Has there been a fundamental change at the core of who you are where Christ has put his spirit inside you? Where you've come and said, I bring nothing to the table. I have nothing but my sin and my shame and my brokenness and my rebellion. And I bring this to you. And God, God, I, I'm resting in your mercy and your grace that you would heal and, and redeem me. I mean, have you trusted in him, in his truth of the gospel to save you from your sin, to live in you? If you've never done that, I mean, even this morning, where, while you sit where you are right now watching this, that right now you could pray that prayer. You could, if it, you believe in your heart to be able to say, God, I, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I don't trust myself anymore. I need you. I need your grace. And I can do nothing to get this, but you give it freely. God, would you redeem me? Would you save me? Would you resurrect me again? But even right now, even this morning, as you pray that, the Bible says that Christ dwells in you. That at that moment where your heart comes to that humble place of calling out, that he comes to live in you. So my question is this, is Christ in you? Here's here's my second question, it's this. For those of you who who can say with a a confidence, yes, Christ is in me, I know Christ, I've come to that place of, of receiving the good news of the gospel, that's who I am, I am a Christ follower, Christ is in me. Let me ask you this, is Christ your life? Is Christ your life? Is he transforming you day by day from the inside out? Have you humbly come, broken and humble, knowing you can't do this on your own, and you can now say, man, I've got that hope in me that hope of of knowing him, that that hope of of knowing how he sees me in Christ, that hope of an inheritance that's that's secured in heaven for me, that hope of the resurrection. I mean, is, is that your hope? Is Christ your life? Are you pursuing him above all else? I'm gonna pray for us and right now and And even now, I mean, you could download these questions, spend some time working this out, spend some time as a family, as by yourself, as friends, as a small group praying, God, God, would you reveal, would you open up my heart 
Not just my mind to know the truth, but my heart to truly know the hope I have in you. Let, let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, I pray even now that you would give us this, this spirit of, of wisdom and revelation by your spirit. That you would open the eyes of our hearts so we could know your hope. So we can know the hope that we have of, of being known by you, of knowing you, of, of how you look at us as, as a glorious inheritance so that we could know the power of, of, of the resurrection so we can be so connected to this future that God, that that hope would, would infuse our today, would change the way we live now. Transform the core of our being today by your spirit. Raise us up today as a people who display to the world what it means to have the hope of Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.